evening, church. It's, it's my honor to get to open up God's Word with you again. And if you want to go ahead and open up your Bibles, if you've brought it with you, you can turn to John chapter 10. That'll be the book that we'll be looking at and studying tonight. Uh, and this has been an exciting weekend for some of us already. Uh, if you weren't aware, last night and this morning we kicked off our Missions Institute. It's a new monthly gathering that we're going to be doing, uh, learning, growing, studying about missions and how God is calling us all to be a part of what we're going to be speaking about tonight, taking his name to the nations and discipling people and bringing people to Christ. And, and so if you missed it, I hope you're planning on joining us in February. It was an awesome time kicking that off with a little bit larger emphasis uh, last night and today. But coming up in February, we'll be doing it again uh, and just learning and growing and praying together. So I hope that you won't miss that as we seek to reach our community, our neighborhood, and take the gospel to the nations. And so that's a dangerous thing for your missions pastor to have a kind of a, a little missions conference, and then you ask him to preach that weekend. So while I'm a little tired, I am also amped up to get to share with you tonight about what God has put on my heart as we speak about the Good Shepherd. See, uh, missions is one of those things that I get excited about, or as I like the youth like to say, I, got, I like to get hype about. You know, I like to be a, a little bit of a self-proclaimed hype man. I want to be that guy that when something good is happening in your life, you're thinking, I can't wait to tell Pastor Adam because he's going to get excited for me. I, I, there's been a couple opportunities throughout, you know, my life where a friend is calling me randomly and I'm like, why are they FaceTiming me? And they FaceTime and I'm like, hey, what's going on? They're like, hey, we're expecting a baby and we get to celebrate with them. We get to get excited. And so, you know, I actually spoke with one of those friends this week and as soon as their message came up, I'm like, oh boy. And they're like, don't worry, we're not expecting a baby. Uh, we're just calling to see what's going on. Because me and Hannah, we love being excited people. We love hearing good news of engagements like Josh this week or people expecting babies or other good things happening in our life. And one of those other things that I got super hype about was, you know, when I was 28, Hannah and I got married. And to say that I was hype about getting to marry her is probably an understatement. She was in a, she, it was and is an amazing woman. She loves the Lord. She was willing to wait two years for me to get back from overseas so that we could get married. And I know what you may be careful at. I, she lived up to the hype. She didn't let that down. I'm not falling into that trap. But, and I'm going to be careful here, but because of our culture and even within Christian culture, there are times that we hype things out of reality. Our culture, and like I said, Christian culture, sometimes, especially for marriage, we hype it in certain things in marriage in such a way that there is no way it's going to meet that expectation. We blow it out of proportion. And we put our hope and our hype in a certain aspect of marriage in that when we get into that situation, we find disappointment because something that we thought was going to fulfill us or bring something to our life, it didn't meet that unrealistic expectation. And so for some of you tonight, you may be coming to church for the first time hearing a lot of hype about this man named Jesus. You've heard people say that he loves you, that he has died for your sins, and he, he loved you so much that he gave up his life for you. That's a lot of hype. And maybe you've come tonight thinking, is he really going to live up to it? Maybe you've questioned that hype. Does he, has he really done all the things that he has promised to do? And does he really love me in the way that he says he does? Can he really forgive me of those sins that, that be, these people keep talking about when I haven't even forgiven myself from them? 
Well, I hope that today as we study about the good shepherd, my goal is for you to see what puts the good in our good shepherd, that is Jesus Christ. So if you want to turn with me in verse 10, I want us to see that Jesus really is worth the hype. Not only is he worth the hype, that he is going to surpass any hype that we could ever set for him. So let's read verses 1 through 18 of John chapter 10 and see what the Bible has to say for us tonight. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. But when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know his vo- uh, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Before we go and break down our text, I want to kind of set the scene a little bit uh, more for us, because if you haven't noticed, shepherding in a traditional sin isn't quite the booming business that it once was at the time that Jesus was speaking these things to the, the Jewish leaders of the time. So there's going to be a picture that's going to come up on your screen behind me, and this is going to be a picture of a traditional sheepfold that you would have found during the time that Jesus was speaking these things. And so just to set that scene and explain out a little bit more of what we saw in this text, Every night as shepherds were bringing their flock back to the sheepfold, they would each bring their sheep and and enter them through that gate. And it wouldn't be uncommon for multiple shepherds to bring their sheep into that one small sheepfold. So they would be getting mixed up. They'd all be blending together. And so there would be one of the sheep, uh, one of the shepherds, or maybe a specific man called a porter that would lay down at night across that opening. Sometimes they would have gates. Sometimes it would just be an opening, and so in order to keep sheep from leaving and to keep predators from entering that weren't supposed to, that shepherd would lay across that gate to guard and protect it. And then the next morning, after the sun had risen, those shepherds would come back. The the porter or the shepherd who was guarding that sheepfold would let them in. They would go in, and they would call out their sheep. The sheep would recognize their voice, and they would come to the shepherd. Pretty amazing, right? People give sheep a hard time, but that's pretty amazing that on the voice of the shepherd, they would gather to them. He would then go before them and lead them out that gate into pasture. 
So that is the setting that we see here in our text and the backdrop that gives us a little bit more clarity of this illustration that Jesus is giving to us as our good shepherd. And so as we look here in John 10, I want us to see five different things that put the good in our good shepherd. The first that we see in our text tonight is that our good shepherd is good because his title is legitimate. Jesus' title is legitimate. See with me again verses 1 and 2. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the, by, by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he, who's enter, he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. We see right away in verse 1 that there are a lot of ways that people try to legitimize or gain their position in leadership. In this illustration we see here of a thief and a robber climbing over the wall, what they're trying to do is they're trying to gain access to the sheep illegitimately. These thieves and robbers, as Jesus calls them, they're looking for an illegitimate way to get what they want. They're searching for shortcuts. They want to sneak their way in. They want to catch that shepherd who's sleeping at the gate. They want to catch him when he's not looking or when he is sleeping. But what they miss, these thieves and robbers, is that while they may gain access or gain the presence of the sheep, it doesn't legitimize their position. Have you ever been around someone who had a title that they didn't earn or that they didn't have any business having? It usually doesn't take us long to realize that that person is in over their head, that they have no idea what they are doing, and that they have no business having that title. Now, you often will see that in their inaction, but even more than that, you see that in their action, right? They, their, their position is illegitimate, and they prove that because they don't know what they're doing, They have the inability to do what they say they're supposed to be able to do and to hold the title that they say that they have. And these thieves and robbers we see here, they want the sheep to think that they are the shepherd. But that isn't what we find of Jesus in verse 2. In verse 2, it says that the shepherd comes in through the door. If you own the pen, if you run the house, you have no need of hiding your coming and going. And that is what we see Jesus saying to us in verse 2 is that he who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. Contrary to those who are trying to sneak their way in or digging holes, Jesus is saying that if you're the shepherd, you don't have to. And we see that by the, the porter, that, that shepherd that sleeps at the door. When he sees that shepherd coming in the morning, what does he do? He opens up and allows him to have free access in. Well, why is that? It's because his title is legitimate. He is the true shepherd. So we see that being earned by the shepherd letting him in. And we see Jesus even claiming that of himself in verses 11 and 14, where Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd. But talk, but talk is cheap, right? Talk is cheap. If your title is legitimate, your actions will back that up. And this is what we see in verses 3 through 5, where the good shepherd's title is backed up by his actions and the sheep's response. Look at verses 3 through 5 with me again. It says to him, The gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls out to his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought all of his own and brought out all of his own, he goes before them and the sheep will follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. I've never lived on a farm or been around sheep too much other than the the random petting zoo or zoo that I've been to before. But in my study and preparation, learning about sheep and shepherds tonight, I found that sheep can be quite the jumpy bunch. It doesn't take much to spook a sheep. And what we see in verse 5 is that uh, these uh, thieves and robbers that are trying to 
woo these sheep to following them. As soon as they speak, they don't follow. What does it say in verse 5? It says that they flee their presence. But that's not what we see of Jesus when he speaks. When Jesus speaks, the sheep follow. They aren't spooked by his voice. Instead, they respond to him with his title and follow him because they know his voice, they trust his voice, and are called by name. This leads us to our second point of what's so good about our good shepherd is that his care is personal. Jesus' care is personal. We see his personal care for when he opens his mouth, he calls out to his sheep by name. See, he doesn't just call out to some random group of people. He didn't say, hey, New Hope, hey, Sutherlands, hey, enter your family last name when he chose us as his sheep, but personally, one by one, hey, Adam, hey, Robbie, hey, Shannon, hey, enter your name there. As a personal, loving God, he calls out to us in personal, loving ways. There's a reason we name things in life. We name our pets. We name, well, some of us name our cars. Some of us, you know, we name our children. My daughter has named all 15 to 20 stuffed animals that are laying on her bed and sleeping with her every night. She knows them by name because she cares for them personally. The fact that our good shepherd calls out to us by our name shows that his care is personal and crafted specifically for each and every one of us. So while God so loved the world that he gave his son for the world, within that world he was thinking of you and me personally, that God loves you and knows you by your name. And isn't that what we're all really longing for in this world? Someone to truly love us in a personal, special way? This is why I said earlier that we hype up marriage in, in, in such a way that if, if that person doesn't love me in the way that I expected them to, well, I'm going to ditch that person. I'm going to go find someone who will. And so when that doesn't happen, well, I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to find that one person who will love me. We are all hunting for that one to love us in a personal way. And we are going to see in our text that that can only come through our Savior, Jesus Christ. But what, and what we find when Jesus calls to us and cares for us personally is that he never lets us down. Maybe today some of you have been following after the wrong shepherd, following after the wrong voice, and as a result, you've been let down. Maybe you have been led to believe that what we were just talking about, if you can just find the right person, that you'll be satisfied. All your needs will be met. But maybe tonight, for the first time, you're hearing the voice of your Savior. Maybe the first time you're hearing the voice of the Good Shepherd calling you to respond and follow after him. For as, and as verse 4 and 5 says that if he calls us, we should respond and follow him. If you aren't responding to his voice, it might just be because you have yet to enter his fold. And today, he is inviting you to join his flock. It's crazy to think how fast time has flown, especially in the midst of this pandemic that we're, we're still kind of going through, I guess, right? We're still in the midst of it. It feels like it's a never-ending thing. But time has been flying by. Hannah and I have been here at New Hope for a little over a year and a half. And I know this may be shocking to you. But it has not been unusual over the last year and a half for Pastor Matt and myself to be mistaken for one another and be called by the wrong name. You'll see a picture on the screen behind. If you look at this picture, I mean, it's just amazing, right? How could anyone get us confused? We look just a little bit alike each other, right? 
So over that time, you know, every once in a while, someone has complimented me on my singing. And I quickly realized that they think I'm Pastor Matt, because my singing has no reason to be complimented. But you may have also called out to me by name and wondered why, well, Pastor Matt's pretty rude. Why didn't he respond to me? Exactly. Pastor Matt is pretty rude. No. You may have called out to me thinking that I was Matt or Pastor Matt thinking that he was me, and we didn't respond because you were calling us by the wrong name. So while we have moments of forgetfulness or our mind goes blank, our God never goes blank when he calls out our name. Isaiah 43.1 says, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he has formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When Jesus calls out to us, he never gets us mixed up. He doesn't have a forgetful memory. He doesn't draw a blank. On the contrary, he has formed you, he has redeemed you, and he has called you by name because you are his. But his goodness doesn't end there. There is more good in our good shepherd. So not only is his title legitimate and his care personal for us, we see that his rescue is life-giving. Jesus' rescue is life-giving. Look at me in verses 7 through 10. Says, so Jesus said, uh, so Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Early, earlier we seen that Jesus entering the door, entering through the door showed that he was our legitimate shepherd. But here in verse 7, we see that Jesus also refers to himself by the door in which we enter. How can Jesus be both the shepherd and the door? What Jesus is saying here, calling himself the door, would be symbolically saying that he is the door. It is by him alone that we can enter and find rest in him. And that if we enter by him through the door, that we can find freedom from the bondage that our sin seeks to enslave us to. This idea of being a door would run synonymous with what we find in John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father but through me. Here as the door, Jesus is saying that no one enters the family of God, the flock of God, unless they enter by him as the door. There is but one entrance to this house. The windows are too high, you can't climb in. The fence is too high, you can't climb over it. No, there is one way to enter the family of God, and that comes through Jesus as the door. But what does it say? That when we do that, something wonderful happens. It says we are saved. We often, as Christians, as we talk about this verbiage of being saved, uh, or calling others to be saved, it can, it can feel sometimes archaic. Or outdated. And that really comes because our world thinks that they don't need saving and that they've never done anything wrong and that they're not in danger. But we see here in our text that this is the exact language that our Savior, that our Savior uses. When we respond to the voice of Christ and enter his flock, it says that we are saved. We are rescued from the wolves of this world that seek to devour us. But more importantly, we are saved from the death and destruction that our sin has set before us and instead giving a life of protection and of abundance. 
See, before Christ, we, uh, our sin is leading us astray, seeking to steal, kill, and destroy us, resulting in a life separated from God in hell. But praise God that our good shepherd has come. He called us by our name. And if we will just respond and follow his voice, it says that we can have uh, life abundant and we can have that now and in the life to come. See, he doesn't just want us to live. He wants us to live abundantly in his pasture. He wants us to enjoy the protection, the freedom, and the life that can only come through him, our good shepherd. Our good shepherd doesn't want us just to enjoy life to the fullest one day when we get to heaven. While that is true, we will experience Christ in his fullness one day when we get to heaven. But he also wants us to live a life abundantly now. There is a future experience, but also a present reality that we have when we enter the fold of God. We get abundant life now and in the future. And who doesn't want that, right? Who doesn't want life abundance? I don't know many people who would not sign their name by that. So I have to ask you, have you heard the call of Christ and trusted him as Savior and Good Shepherd of your life? All this means nothing if you have not heard his voice and followed after him as your shepherd. His title means nothing to you if you don't recognize it. His care lacks its personal touch if you have not accepted it. His rescue is not applied to your life unless you have entered through the door that is Jesus Christ. Religion cannot save you. Good works cannot save you. And you cannot be born into this flock. No, it is only through the man Jesus that you can have life and have it abundantly. At the end of this service, I'm going to invite you, if you have never done that, if you have never heard the voice of Christ and accepted that, I'm not only going to ask you, I'm going to plead with you, please, please hear his voice and accept it because he has earned that ability and, his, and that power to forgive us of our sins. This is what we find in verses 11 through 15 that makes our shepherd so much greater than every other shepherd that he can forgive our sins. It makes him so much better, so good. The true big G good shepherd is what we find in verses 11 through 15 of chapter 10. It says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is the true, the ultimate, the only good shepherd because he loved us so much that he willingly sacrificed his life so that we could have life, that life that he willingly gave up on our behalf. This, this, is, this is crazy if we really think about what is happening in this text. The shepherd is saying that I will give up my life for the sheep when if you're like me, I think, well, the sheep are there to serve the shepherd, right? They're supposed to give him life, give him livelihood. But what Jesus is saying in this text, he's turning it on its head and saying that no, his purpose was for the sheep, not the sheep for the shepherd. See, those hired hands, those thieves mentioned earlier, they weren't concerned about the sheep. No, they were a means to the end to those thieves, so when the rubber hit the road, when danger came, they got out of Dodge, they fled, they got out of there. But that's not what we see with our Savior. On the contrary, when it comes to our good shepherd, he doesn't flee. He cares for the sheep. He knows the sheep. He loves these sheep that he has named, 
that have personal care to him. And if there is danger to the sheep, there's going to be danger to the shepherd because his concern and care is for his sheep's safety. Jesus shows us that while we may be tempted to think of our, our lives more highly than others, he thinks of our lives more highly than his and that he willingly gave his life for us. We are of great value to our Savior. If you ever doubt your worth to God, if you ever think, am I worth anything to anyone, remember that God sent his Son and that his Son willingly gave his life for you. You are of great worth to Jesus. You are valued, and he has proven that through his laying down his life on your behalf. See, as Jesus was speaking these words to the Pharisees of the time, he had, or he knew what was about to come. Jesus had the cross in mind. He wasn't just saying this, you know, symbolically. He was saying, no, I can see it coming. I see the cross. Not only does the good shepherd, but I, as your good shepherd, will soon be laying my life down on your behalf. And he knew that these men would soon be plotting to kill him and that he would willingly give up his life so that we could have it. Look with me at verses 17 and 18 again. It says, For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes, uh, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down uh, of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. See, it's one thing to have your life unwillingly taken from you. We see this every day as people are murdered around our world. But these men didn't take Jesus' life. They didn't surprise him as a wolf in sheep's clothing. No, Jesus seen the destruction that was set before us as sinners. And he said, I'm going to lay my life down so that you can have it. He had the authority to keep it. He did not deserve death. He had lived a perfect life, a sinless life but he voluntarily laid down his life so that we could have it. We must keep Jesus' voluntary death before our eyes. See, the Jews had no power over him. Pilate had no power over him. The Roman emperor had no power over him. No, instead Jesus laid down his life for us to save us from something far worse than wolves, thieves, or robbers. No, Jesus laid down his life to save us from the judgment of God because of our sin. But... He didn't stay dead. No, three days later, by the authority given to him by the Father, he raised from the dead, conquering sin and death, having the power to forgive sin, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father with his work completed on our behalf, calling for sinners to come to him and enter his pasture. So I ask you again, have you heard the voice of Jesus and followed him have you trusted in him as good shepherd and put yourself under his care? Have you been saved? Yes, that word saved from the judgment that is set before you because of your sin. And have you entered the rest of our Savior in his pasture? You may be thinking, Adam, we get it. You're being quite persistent tonight. And as much as I want you and I'm pleading with you to respond to that call, our Savior's determination to save you far exceeds anything that I could ever say or do to prove that. And that leads us to the last thing that I want us to see tonight is that our good shepherd is good because his seeking is persistent. Jesus' seeking is persistent. Look, what, look at me at verse 16. It says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will, hear my vo uh, they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. 
Here we see four promises of God that, seek, or that speak to the persistence in Christ seeking us out as his sheep. First, we see that there are other people that still need to accept Christ. Jesus didn't say that he might have other sheep. No, he says that there are other sheep that are not of this fold that he needs to go and seek out. In our text, he's specifically speaking to a group of Jewish leaders pointing to the Gentiles that he's going to be taking the gospel to. And we should be thankful for that because we are those Gentiles. We are that non-Jewish group of people that Jesus is talking about, that fold that is not of that group. He's saying there are others that still need to give their lives and follow me as their Savior. So Jesus had us in mind as he spoke of these other sheep. And Jesus is saying still today that there are other people who still need to join my family, my flock. We have spoken before that I can often fall into that category of a good enough guy. And if it was up to me and I'm looking at our world, I might say, okay, this is good enough because it's only getting worse, right? It's only going more downhill. I'm tempted to cry out to God and say, God, isn't this good enough? Why don't you just come? But aren't you glad that our God is not a good enough God? Jesus is not just a good enough Savior. We see this illustrated in the parable of the lost sheep where Jesus leaves the 99 to find the one. See, I would be tempted to say 99 out of 100 is still an A+. I would get a good grade for that. I would be satisfied with if I had 100 sheep and 99 were still there at the end of the day, I would say I did a pretty good job. But no, Jesus says that that is not good enough. If they are his, he wants them in his family. And as he sought us out as that lost one, when we were saved, he is still seeking out the loss of our world. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't wrap all this up before we accepted him? If you are a Christian, there was a time that you fell under this title of other sheep that still needed to join his family. And thankfully, that leads us to our next promise of not only are there others who still need to join his family, but that, there are, that he is going to go and get them. Jesus says that he is going to go and gather his people. As long as there are other sheep, he is going to be persistently seeking them out. Jesus says in verse 16 that he must bring them. It isn't a matter of want. He didn't say, I want to bring them. No, it is a matter of necessity. He must bring them. Jesus cannot rest until those who are his are in his flock. What we see here in verse 16 is a promise of God that is essential to who he is. If there are others who are out there that are his, he must go and gather them. There is no question about it. It is essential to who Jesus is and why he came. We see this in Jesus' dialogue with Zacchaeus in 1910. After Zacchaeus has been called down from that tree and he gives his life to Christ, Jesus says to Zacchaeus, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Seeking and saving the lost is the business that Jesus came about. It wasn't something that he figured out when he chose to leave heaven and come to earth. He came with one purpose, and that was to seek and save the lost, and he is going to do that until he has gathered all of his people. You may think that you can run far enough where God can't catch you. You may think that you can say no enough that he might give up, But our God is persistent. You cannot run fast enough. You cannot go far enough that our God will not stop seeking you out. This leads us to the third promise that we find in this text, that the lost sheep will hear his voice and be saved. 
A question you often hear in missions conversations is, and and really a valid one is, what about the people who have never heard the name of Jesus? Will they really go to hell? Again, this is a valid question. I've wrestled with this, still wrestle with it in some ways. But I think we see that a part of the answer to this in verse 16 and verse 29. Let's let's look at verse 29 of, of chapter 10. It says, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So you couple that with verse 16, and what we see here is that if there is anyone that the Father has given to the Son, that he is going to seek them out, call their name, and that person will respond to his voice. There has never been one person on this earth that if they would have accepted Christ, that Christ didn't seek them out and save them. For if the Father has given them to the Son, he will and he must bring them to himself. He is persistent and he hasn't ceased seeking and saving the lost. So no matter where they are, no matter how many times you've said no, Christ is persistently seeking you out still today. And that leads us to the last promise that we see in this verse. That through his seeking and saving, there will be a unity in the people of God under Christ. Through Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, American or Egyptian or any other nationality, white or black or Asian or any other ethnicity, we are all united as one people under Christ. Ephesians 3, uh, Galatians 3, 26-28 really sums this point up for us well. It says, it says, So in Christ you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. For there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Isn't it wild to think that there are people around the world worshiping and praising the same God that we just sing songs about? Their place of worship may look a little bit different. Their songs might have a different beat, a couple more claps in there, right? But they are all, we are all worshiping and united under the same person that is Jesus Christ. At our Missions Institute this afternoon, we watched a video where they showed uh, a video of a people group receiving their first copy of the Word of God. And they were having a celebration. But let me tell you, they were not, you know, we, we're kind of relaxed here at New Hope. You know, you go to some churches and, you know, the preacher's got a shirt and tie on. These people had a little bit less than even uh, what we had on, if you know what I'm saying. They were a tribal people group in the jungle. But can I tell you that they were worshiping and praising the same God that we are worshiping and praising tonight. We are all one in Jesus Christ. And that, it is a wild thought to think of as I was watching these people receive their first completed Bible in their language, seeing them dance and praise, and to think that they are worshiping the same God as me. It's so humbling and amazing at the same time. And the great thing is that he isn't done yet. John 10, 16 is really the mission's thrust of the book of John. And, and it really could summarize all that we do here at New Hope. You're going to see our BHAGs on the screen behind me. Now, verse 16 wasn't in our mind as we came up with these BHAGs. We weren't thinking of, okay, what does John 10, 16 say to us? But if you look at what we do and our big, hairy, audacious goals that we have, they all hinge on the promises of God found in verse 16, that there are still lost people in our world that need to be saved, that Jesus is still seeking out and saving them, and that he will join us all as one people under Christ as our Savior as they hear and follow his voice. 
But the thing is, Christ has called us to join in on that effort. While it is his voice that they will hear, and it is his message that they will receive, that they will receive, and that it is his death that covers their sins, God has chosen to use us as his voice to call out people for salvation. Paul expresses this partnership with God and, and gathering of God's people in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. He says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And he says a similar thing in Romans 10, verses 14 and 15 of, How will they then call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. If you are a Christian, God has called you to be an ambassador on his behalf. He has called you to appeal on his behalf to others to be reconciled to God. This is because we, we have a big God, and that's why we have big goals here at New Hope, because we believe that there is a God who is still seeking to save those, are, those who are in his family. And he has called us to partner with him. And this is why we do what was on the screen a second ago, those BHAGs. This is why we are starting a counseling ministry. This is why we are planning churches. This is why we're seeking to have five strategic partnerships around the world and hopefully more. This is why we're growing our sports ministry. This is why we are discipling our 500 and soon hopefully 1,000. It's because our God has promised that there are still people who need to be saved, and he wants us to be a part of that life change in their lives. But it's going to take us all. It's going to take us as a team working together to reach our area and the world for Christ. So we have to do it together. Last week, Pastor Robbie talked about us manning our post. We can't do it together. Not only, you know, it's hard to, to build a wall on our own, it is more impossible to reach our community and our nations for Christ if we try to do it by ourselves. But if we link arms, if we man our posts, if we go where God calls us, if we share with those God calls us to share, share with, we can have a lasting impact on our community. And we're going to do that. We're going to do that here at New Hope. We're going to take the gospel to Queensbury, to Glens Falls, to Hudson Falls, to all the falls that are in this area. We're going to take the gospel there. We're going to take it to the Gulf Coast on our mission trips. We're going to take it to South Asia. We're going to take it to Montreal. We're going to take it to Latin America. Wherever God allows us, we are going to take his name and that good news, and we are going to see the lost sheep of Jesus be gathered into his flock because he has promised that there are still others who have yet to accept, that will accept, if we will just join him in taking that good news to the nations. And I believe, I believe we will have a lasting impact on our community through a group of people called New Hope Community Church, if we will just do these things. And I also believe that through our church, there will be many who see that Jesus really is that good shepherd, and he has put the good in good shepherd and worthy to be praised and worthy to be followed. Let's, let's pray. You may be here tonight, and I, I said earlier, I'm going to invite you and plead with you you may be here for the first time, having heard God call out to you with your distinct voice and name, 
saying, you need to follow me. So if you're that person tonight and God is calling out to you by name, I want to invite you to follow him and to give your life to him. And you can do that by, by praying a prayer similar to, similar to this, saying, Lord, I recognize that I am one of those lost sheep. I recognize that because of my sin, I am on a path set for destruction and separation from, from you for eternity. But tonight, Lord, I have heard your, your voice. I have heard my name from your mouth, and I want to follow it, Lord. And Lord, I want to give my life to you. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, and I trust you as Savior of my life. If you prayed that prayer just then, and you need to talk with someone afterwards, we're going to have some people down here called our decision team, and they would love to talk with you more about that. But if you're in this room tonight and you've heard the voice of the Lord call out your name and you have accepted and follow him, the question now is where is God calling you to take his name to next? It could be your neighbor. It could be someone in the school system. It could be someone in another nation. But God is calling us to be ambassadors for him and inviting us to join him in that work. So maybe tonight you need to commit to say, whenever things open up, I'm going to go where he leads. I'm going to go, and that's going to that's be hard. I'm going to get my passport ready, as Pastor Robbie says. I'm going to be ready to go and take the greatest news ever to the lost sheep that God is calling to himself. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you are still in the business of seeking and saving the lost sheep of your flock. Lord, I pray that we would have an urgency to that, Lord. We don't know what tomorrow brings. So, Lord, give us an urgency for the lost, for people are dying each and every day, and they need to hear that you are truly the good shepherd. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us, give us a boldness, Lord, help us to be a loud herald of your name. And Lord, that many people here in our community and around the world will see that you are truly the good shepherd because we chose to be used by you as your people. Lord, thank you so much for sending Jesus to save us from our sins. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.